Father, we thank you for your glory and your grace. We thank you in this this time that we remember and, and celebrate the Passion. Lord, as we, we think about Christ entering Jerusalem, Lord, and uh, as we remember that on, on this Sunday, we thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate, Lord, with open eyes, Lord, uh, of what was missed on that day. And we don't do that because we are smarter. We don't do that because we are, are, are more spiritual or more enlightened uh, in our own wisdom. We do that because you were so gracious, Lord, to, to, to save us. You were so gracious to reveal that yourself and your truth to us. You were so gracious to, to, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, to make us alive in your son. And so we thank you that we can celebrate those things. And Father, we thank you that you not only saved us individually, Lord, but you saved us to bring us who were not a people into the people of God. Lord, to be a part of your people. And, and, and Father, we pray that you help us to understand what that means, what it means to be a part of your covenant community, of what it means to be a part of the church, Lord, and, and, and what it means to love you through, through our commitment to your people, through the local church. So give us wisdom as we think about these things and that you would be glorified, that you would edify us as your people, Lord, as we dive into your word this morning. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking about the church, this whole unit uh, in the last few months. We've been talking about the church, um, both in our Sunday service, which we just finished a series, as well as our Sunday school class. Uh, and we started with the idea of where do we, there's lots of different ideas about the church. Where, where, do, we under, where do we find our defining uh, definitions for what the church is and how it practices and, and what we should think about the church? And we said that God's word is sufficient. We want to we start there. We want to build our doctrine of the church not on our tradition, not on our preferences, uh, not even just on our, our demographics, but on what God has said in his word. That's where we want to start. So as we've been looking through what God said in his word about the church, the next thing we had to ask is, right, the what is a football? What, what is the church? And as we looked at what the church is, we said that the church is not a place, it's not a building, but it's a people. The church is a people. The church is the people, right? We are not, you know, this is, you know, it's not, we're not saying, that's what I'm saying. We're not saying, welcome to the Oakhurst DV Free Church. This is the gathering of the Oakhurst DV Free Church. The people here are what make up the church. And it's not just any people, it's a regenerate people, right? That, 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 that it's a regenerate group of people. And it's not just any group of regenerate people, but it is a assembled group. People. So that, that idea of church means assembly. It is those the, the assembled people, not just isolated individuals. And then we looked at what, what, uh, what, what, what does the church look like? We talked about the historical marks of the church, which you can also see really picture as Jesus talked about founding the church in Matthew 16. We see the church is built on the right confessors, like Peter, on the, and, 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 or the right confessions, or the right confession, like Peter's confession, and the right preaching of God's word, right? That, that has the gospel. A church is a true church when it proclaims the gospel. It marks out through the right uh, profession of the gospel. And it's not just a message, but it's also not just the confession, but the confessors. Is that the confessors are marked out. Who are those people who believe in the gospel? It's those who have been baptized and who, who participate in, in the Lord's Supper. So we looked at, the, it looked at baptism. We looked at the Lord's Supper uh, in depth over the last several weeks. Now, what we're moving on to next is then what does the church look like? And, and that is, if it's people, right? If the church is people, then what is the church? It's people together assembled in a covenant community with one another. So that's why this whole next section we're going to call the covenant community of the church. And we're going to look at a couple different things over the next um, several weeks, probably maybe take us a, a month or, or two, is we're going to look at first at church membership, 
Um, and there's a lot of things that go with that with membership. And what does it look like when we um, commit ourselves to one another? What does life look like? And so we're going to look, and I think all that's summed up when we think about uh, this word membership. Uh, along with that is that the idea of church discipline. Uh, we're also going to go on and look at things of church governance, right? How do the, does the church govern itself? And there's some different models. There's a lot of disagreements within our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but trying to look, what is, how do we think biblically about ch- church government and how uh, the church is set up that way? And then... Um, uh, we're going to finally look at church offices and, and the aspect of, of what, what should the leadership of the church and, 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 and as far as um, uh, 1 Timothy and, and Titus would say and some of those things. So, uh, but we're going we're gonna to start really with all this with how, how do you kind of define the, the, who these people are? Right? How do you define who the people are that make up the church? How do you define the covenant community of the church? And that's the, the, the first way to do that really what we, is what we would call church membership. Now, I want to clarify that th- there's going to be a lot, if you are faithful and you've been coming to church, that I did a sermon on this about a month and a half ago, right? So I, I, there's going to be a lot of overlap, but there's going to be also some time for questions. And there's some things that I had to cut out of that to try to flush out for you guys that maybe is not as rushed. Um, so we're going to, but I apologize for some, some repetition there, but just I want to make sure that, that, that we're all on the same page uh, and catching up on some of these things. Um, but when we talk about church membership, right, that if you went on BibleGateway.com or BlueLetterBible.com and you type in, quote, church membership, unquote, you won't find it in the New Testament, right? You don't find those exact words in the New Testament. In the same way, you're not going to find the word Trinity in the New Testament. You're not going to find the word rapture in the New Testament, the words aren't there if you look just at the words. But the concept of the Trinity is there, right? The concept of the Trinity is throughout the New Testament. The concept of the rapture you find in the New Testament, right? And the same way we would say the concept of church membership you find there in the New Testament. So here's what we would say, and I, I should put this on your, your page. I'm sorry about that. But how, how would we define church membership? I would say it's a, it's a formal relationship of Christians with a local body of believers. When I say you find the concept of church membership, what is it that we find? We find a formal relationship, a committed relationship. We could even call it a covenantal relationship of Christians with a local body of believers, which includes submission to the accountability of that church and its leadership. So the leadership is, has a formal relationship where they say, we are going to watch over your souls. And the, and, and, and the, and they, and the, and the uh, members say, we are submitting to the church or submitting to the church leadership in, the, in, this, in this type of relationship. So that's, and, and, and I would say even church denominations or groups or associations that don't really believe in church membership Try to practice this. I, I, I want to say, I couldn't say every one of them, but I've said before that um, when I was a younger believer, I was very involved, and I thank God for a Calvary Chapel church that I went to down in, in, in San Diego. Calvary Chapel is, is very open, that, that, that not believing in the, in the idea of church membership. The problem is, is going to this church, they were trying to, there were certain things of, you could not be, you know, participating in ministry in this church unless you went through a process of understanding the doctrine of the church and committing yourself to agree with the doctrine of the church and agreeing yourself to submit to the leadership of the church and being accountable by being a part of the small group of the church so that they know that you are actually formally a part of the church. Well, they may not call it church membership, but guess what that is? It's church membership, right? Just without the name. 
So I would say that even churches that don't practice church membership see in the Bible these sort of things that we would call church membership, right? And, and, and so, um, because it's biblical, these are just important things that we see that how, how, how believers live out their lives as Christians within the covenant community of the church. Um, and so we're going to look at a couple different things. This morning, we're just going to kind of look broadly at, at just kind of, how, just this is, this is how God describes the church. Church, this, this type of relationship is how God describes his church with some biblical examples and some biblical metaphors and images of the church. Very simple this week. And then we're going to dive into some, some other categories in the next few weeks. But let's just look. Um, we're going to start in Acts. Acts is, you know, we really see the church uh, talked about in Acts a great deal. So turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to see throughout Acts that the early church had an understanding of who was part of the church. Who was, we, they knew who was part and who was not. They knew who was formally committed to the church and who was not part and formally committed to that church. And we would call that church membership. Right? We would say that, that, that that's what we would call that, so this formal uh, relationship. So Acts 2, uh, let me read. This is uh, the day of Pentecost, Peter's sermon. And as you look at the end of Peter's sermon, starting in verse 37, the people hear the gospel in Peter's sermon, and they, then they respond to the gospel. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Right? They're, 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 they hear the gospel. They hear the gospel of who Jesus is as, as uh, the Messiah, the Savior come. And he died on the cross and rose from the dead and three days later, right, where we're celebrating in this next week with, with Easter Sunday coming up. And they said, what do we do to this? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's the response to the gospel? Repentance. And, and, and we see that throughout the, the Acts, we see that sometimes it's described as repentance, sometimes it's described as the faith, because it's one action. It's turning from our sin and turning to Christ in faith. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter preaches the gospel. People respond. They become associated with the church. How do they become associated with the church? In what sort of way? They were, yeah, they were literally numbered. Right? They, they were added in a way that they were formally counted. Wow. Right? They, 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 were, uh, they were added or joined or glued together. That word can be used sometimes. Um, 3,000 members. So we see in the early church, there were no Lone Ranger Christians. There were missionaries, but there, there were no Lone Ranger Christians. That, 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 they, that they knew that they were saved to be part of the church. And the church knew who was part in the fact, even to where they numbered it, and who was not. And then look at, the, look at this theme that you pick up throughout the rest of Acts. We're just going to do some Bible flipping here. Um, and so look over uh, at two verses down, 247, chapter 2, verse 47. It says, They're praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, look down at verse 4. So that 3,000 were added the first day, more were being added. Then Peter and John speak before the council. Um, or, and before that, they, they have this other, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, it says, but many of those who had heard the word believed. Okay, what does it mean when they believed? 
and the number of the men, so now they're just counting the, the men there that were, that were associated, came to about 5,000. So, so you're tracking that through. Then you look over in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, and then there's a complaint and there's a, there's a, there's a division and, and some problems within church, but they're, 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 they're knowing who's part of it. And they're saying that they're showing this increase in number. Chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So now they're saying that, that they're starting to say, just in Jerusalem, is, 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 we're going to see that the, the church is starting to spread outside of Jerusalem. There's a distinction between those who are associated with the church in Jerusalem versus we're going to see later maybe those associated in the church in Antioch, right? That the local churches, local commitments of believers, what we would call the local church. Uh, chapter, turn over a couple chapters, chapter 11. So after the, the picture of uh, focus on Saul for a few chapters and, and really the transition to the Gentiles, then you get back to chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. And the hand of the Lord was with them um, and, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the, church, to the eyes of the church in Jerusalem uh, and they sent uh, Barnabas to Antioch. Let me see, that one... Um, Okay, so the, so what what is it that reached the the, the the word to the church in Jerusalem? Well, the, the the great numbers that believed there in in Antioch. So we're seeing that particularly now the church in Antioch is growing, and then we see that as well in chapter sixteen, verse five. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So we see that now, not just the church in Jerusalem. Now we see churches throughout the area, local churches. It wasn't just, you're, you're part of the church if you're connected to Jerusalem. No, you're part of the church if you're connected to a local body throughout the area, the local church. And so I've asked this before, and, and I said, why, why numbering? Now, within the context of Acts, there's a couple different ways you could say. It is a showing of the work of the Holy Spirit in, in, in building the church. I think that's there. But if we're saying, why, why did they have those numbers? Why did they record those numbers? Why did the church keep documents on those sort of things where Luke can come and research this and present this in his gospel? It's not just to say, we're at 5,000. We're a mega church now. Right? That's not the idea. It's not about pride, about numbers. But what it was is it comes back to a definition of the church. What is the church? A gathering, a gathering of Local people, of believers. So if the church is about people, Right, it's, a, it's an assembled people, covenantly committed people. Then you should. The next question to ask is which people? Which people? Right? Which if the church is its people, you have to ask which people? Right? Or is everybody who shows up at a gathering considered part of the church? No, we see that in the early church too. We're going to see that there's those they were considered inside and those outside. So it's not just those everyone showing up. If an unbeliever showed up to 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 hear the message, were they welcome? I think we see that was clearly because people were being saved. Were they counted as part of the church? No. Not until what? Baptism. Yeah, show, 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 believe in the gospel, being baptized, and actually then being accounted as part of the church. We see that unrepentant members were then no longer counted as part of the church, as we're going to see with, with church discipline. And, and, and so we say, which people are part of the church? People that were formally associated that they had to understand who are the people that are part of the church. They had to, they had to have some sort of, of understanding of this formal association, which we would call membership. Yeah. So the beginning, when we went to Acts 2, with yeah. 3,000, yeah. the beginning of the church, were they all baptized then too, by the way? That's, that's what it seems that they were saying, yeah. 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 Okay. 
became church members. How many were at this meeting? Well, you're looking that you, we don't know, but there was, there was, I mean, we know that there was the 12. I mean, that's the day of Pentecost, right? So we know that there was those gathered in the upper room. And so we know at least the 12, uh, the reconstituted 12 um, after Acts, Acts 1. <laughs> Uh, there were probably, you know, just just from context, there were probably others, you know, that that that, that join, you know, and so uh, we see that, um, you know, we see several hundred Jesus appeared to Paul says later in First Corinthians fifteen. So there were probably a few hundred, maybe several hundred that were 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 started as part of the church. They were probably somewhat represented in the upper room, and, and it's possible, but it's hard to say. And so, yeah, but not big, not a lot, right? The church uh, on the day of Pentecost went from a small group. To the Holy Spirit moving and and really this 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 mass conversion and so yeah um, and so what we see is that it's an under, all this is an understanding of the church is the people it's not an organization the church is not an organization it's not a building it is the people it is the people that are formally committed to the church yeah Tina um, was that going back to the three thousand yeah. Um, it says it was just added to them, but it didn't say like that day. It could have been. That's like, true. Like, That's true. Over a couple of days. That's something. true. Think? It's possible. I mean, he doesn't. Um, yeah. See, two. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, not trying to, you know, be nitpicky or anything like that. I'm just trying to figure out, was it actually that? Because it seemed, in my mind, I would think, oh, it was that day. Yeah. But then I'm, when I read through it, it's like, it doesn't say that day. So it could have been like a week. Or it like could have. I mean, maybe, what is, I don't know. I'd have to think through it. Yeah, I, I have to think through it. You know, what does it mean that they were added that day? Is it, it possible associating with the church and then going through the process of baptism? And the aspect of, of we see that, that the, the church taking seriously understanding of making sure people, you know, believe the gospel. That, that's what Peter's commission was on this, this rock, on this gospel confession, I'll build my church. So. Because, I mean, I think about 3,000 being baptized and believe it in one day. I mean, you could have done it, but it's like moving 3,000 head of cattle. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. I think that there's some sort of association with the church, which maybe is a picture even of of, of that connection of we're, we're bringing you in for the intention of baptism, but it could have been, we, we just don't know. Yeah, Luke doesn't fill in the, the gaps for us. Yeah, it, it could have been, it certainly could have been. Yeah. Sixteen where? Yeah, well, that, that's that that's that increasing, right? But I think I think she was asking about that original aspect of Pentecost. It says they were added that day. So the qualifier of that day is that added of being added and joined to the church. When were they they baptized? It says they were baptized. Yeah. How how is all? It does. It, it, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I think that what we can say for sure is that you know, if you look at the grammar, right? If we look at the second phrase, is that there were added. So what what does that day modify in the grammar? Mine says to them. I'm New King James. To them. To them, and that's to their number. Yeah, to their number. But I was more. I, no, no, no. no. I, I get, we're going off on a tangent. Yeah. I was just saying, was it? Did it happen? This whole event. Did it happen in that day? I, I think or that what is it like looking at when yeah. it says that day that you know was it a, a week? I think that what we can say is that in in the grammar, what he's saying, what does that day modify? So that's maybe my question, right? Okay. Initially, what is what is the phrase that day modify? You know, and I, I, I can look in the Greek. In the ESV, it, it has it modifies uh, the verb, 
It's an adverb, right? When, when did this, when did this, what, what was happening that day? It was, the, the verb is, were added. They were added that day. Yes, and so that's, I guess, okay, I, I wasn't trying to think of, you know, physically versus, like, the magnitude of how do you deal with 3,000 people yeah. in one day? Yeah. I mean, it's so... But I think that what you're saying is that there's a connection between response to the gospel right. and being added and joined to the church. Yeah. Now, the question is, it says they... It says they were baptized. Um, now the question is, is, is were baptized and added? I mean, you can almost think of, if you want to look at grammatically, you can think of it two different ways, right? And I have to look, and I, I'm not sure the grammar is going to help. You could almost say, so if we're saying, Judy's not here, she'd be very happy today. So it says they, she, Judy likes grammar. So they is the subject, right? And then you could say were uh, baptized and added. And that could all be modified by that day. That's possible. That's what I said originally, right? That here's both actions being modified by the adverb of that day, but it also could be um, they and then we did this, were baptized and added that day. And I'm not sure the grammar is going to, I think that we're, we'd be pressing it more than, than Luke's I think you're saying, I'm not sure the grammar's going to answer the question. I mean, I can look in the Greek, I don't even think its grammar's going to answer it that way. And so this one would say, they were added that day. They were all connected to the church, they, they joined the church. But the baptism might have taken several days, it's possible. You know, when I originally said this, is that they're both being affected, and I'm not sure the grammar's going to answer that question, and it's just a historical question that I'm not sure Luke wanted to cl- needed to clarify for us. I was going to say, the point is, is that it happened. Yeah, it happened, exactly. That, and the I point, like and I think that there's two, ba- yeah, the, the two points I would say, and I think that's, that's what you're saying here is good, is that, that, that Luke is more than the, 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 the um, practical order. He's saying that two things are associated. He's saying that, um, he's saying that uh, first of all, that, um, well, actually, there's one thing. He's saying this, either way, are connected, right? This aspect of, and you can almost say that they, because there was another, let me see, those who, those who received. So the they who received... So we actually would modify it this way, right? Those who received. So those who received is also connected with this. Who were the ones baptized? The ones who received the gospel. And those who received the gospel, what did they do? They became part of the church. And so I think that that is the more theological point that he's making rather than where, where, where is the order that happened that day. And so, yeah. Does that help? Well, you think logistically, how could they, you know, there's, there had to be a time frame to baptize all 3,000. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, like and I don't, I don't think that's a big... 3,000 in that day, I mean, they would have just been... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Five yeah. 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 And, and I don't, I think really, Lord is saying, we had a whole bunch of people accept him and were baptized yeah. and added to a congregation. Yeah. Right. And the yeah. time frame doesn't yeah. and it's, right. Let's think of our own lives. Well, when we I'm accept saying. Christ, when we're baptized, and when we actually join. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so there's yeah. some time. Yeah. I don't think that's a big deal. Susan? MacArthur's note said... Um, Luke's use of the Pacific um, number suggests that records were kept of the conversions and baptisms. Yeah. And that's why he had And that's what I would say. That's what I'm saying. That, that there is this aspect of joining to the church that was, that was some sort of record. It wasn't just, there was no aspect of, you heard a sermon, you went to the altar call, yeah. and we're going to pray for you, and God bless you. Mm-hmm. That, that you went to the, ser- you heard Peter's sermon, you responded to Christ, and what does that mean? You're joining the church. To be, there was no idea of you're saved 
and, and, and no, I hope you find a church someday. There is no, I, there is no conception of that, except in missionary, is it impossible? No, we see that in the Ethiopian eunuch that, that that's conceived, but in missionary frontier situations. But in every other situation, becoming saved and committing yourself to a church were, were, were connected. Not, not required, not to say you're not saved if you don't do this, but that was a natural outworking. Just in say, baptism's not required for salvation, but the natural outworking of your salvation is being baptized. In the same way, Luke's saying the natural outworking of receiving Christ is, is also joining the church. Yeah. Martha, and then we'll move along. Yeah. As I recall, and you, you've been there, you can remind me, but outside of the temple... There were all these, the muck the boat. Yeah, yeah. There were all, there were a lot of them. So it's and that's yeah, and that's possible. And then there's some I don't know. And then you're you're trying to do a historical reconstruction that Luke's just that's what I originally thought too is because there are tons of ritual baths in in there. So that's what I originally thought there. But I think that I, I think that we're trying to put a historical reconstruction that Luke's saying. That's not what matters. Right. What matters is the, the theology of what happened, not necessarily trying to piece together the order. We know it happened. I think that's what Tina said. Right. But maybe the, trying to put together the order, we're, we're actually trying to put together, it's almost, like, um, it's almost like when I tell Isaac something, and he is, not that we're all childish, but sometimes we are, is that I tell him something, and he's asking questions. So if I say, go clean your room, right? And he's saying, well, but what about this? Or what about that? What about that? None of that matters. What matters is you need to go clean your room, right? I mean, for Luke, there's other details because clearly he's a historian. We know this historically happened, but there's other details he just didn't flush out for us. I got a lot, you know, there's a lot throughout Luke and a lot throughout Acts that I think, and I think that might be one of them and, and uh, we can ask him one day, right? Yeah. And so. It's, like you said, it's not that it mattered. It's just that logistically it was possible. It was possible, yeah. Because I, and that's why I originally thought, but there's some challenges of, of the church in the record keeping. I, I just don't know, yeah. It's, it's a question of what does that day adverbially ma- mo- modify. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And other times God doesn't put it in there. We tend to make it That's possible, yeah. That you have to think that day, yeah. Yeah. Like, as I told you, my friend who said that if someone believes Christ, that um, he, they, they will not let a day go by before they baptize them. Because they connect baptism so closely that they say, if we don't baptize them that day, then there's things at risk. And so that there's... Um, there, there's, you know, that you can become a little, I think too, you push things too legalistically. Yeah. Ron? Um, going back also with the timeline that you're talking about, it says in there, uh, uh, Peter said, repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. Now, how does one repent in part of the sanctification process without first examining himself mm-hmm. to realize that they are sinful that mm-hmm. I am a sinful person, mm-hmm. and then, of course, confessing it. Mm-hmm. That's a, a, a basically a three-step process yeah. in the uh, going through the sanctification process. Well, let me ask you this. When you first were saved, did you place faith in Christ? Did I what? Did you place faith in Christ? How, did, how many days did it take you to place faith in Christ when you originally got it saved? Basically, uh, when you actually got saved... Well, you know my story. I came through AA. Uh-huh. Ten years later, I accepted Christ because I couldn't understand and connect uh, the. Uh, I understood to some degree. Yeah, but the, the but there was a there was a time of actually turning from from trusting yourself to turning to trusting in Christ, right? Or trusting in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Or, well, I would say trusting in Christ and what He did on the cross, right? But I for had you. No idea. 
uh, it's taken me almost 20 years to get in touch with uh, the multitude. Well, and that was that was my other question. The aspect of do you still need to? Does, would, the, would the scripture still exhort you to grow in faith, to have faith, to, to go work in this process of faith? Or is it all done? Did you have, you placed your faith and there's no more faith that you need to exert after the first first event? I, uh, I'm bi- thinking biblically, right? Yeah. Biblically would say, we need, to, we need to have faith in, in Christ. We need to trust in Christ. But that's not just a, I had faith in Christ and now I don't have to think about that anymore. That we, we continue to grow in faith. We continue to, to exercise faith, to, to have faith in certain situations. So I would say that there is a, a type of initial saving faith, which is, you could say, almost an initial type of saving repentance. And yet there's this ongoing repentance that would be described as well, an ongoing growing in faith that would be described for the Christian life as well. But there is a, 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 a type of, you could, we could describe it as conversion, right? A conversion when you talk about this idea of faith and repentance that's being called for as an initial act. And that's what what what, Paul, what Peter's calling for there. In the same way that when we would call people to to trust in Christ for the first time, we would call them to recognize that they're a sinner and that, that, that they recognize what Christ has done and, and, and express this, this desire to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ. And now that has to out, show its outworking throughout the Christian life, right? But we wouldn't say because that you're, you're getting dangerously close when you go like in Galatians, right? To say you can trust in Christ once you show me that you've turned from your sin, because that's not what Jesus, what Paul, Peter's saying at all. Peter's saying, "That's what repent means." Repent means change. Well, remember we said that words. When you say repent, always means something. You're saying the word always has the same meaning. And when Peter and, and you're saying that repentance in a, a salvific sense, right? This repentance and faith, right? You're saying that. Um, that the, the Bible is using repentance in, in a way that there's an actual initial repentance as it's turned from your sins in general, right? Turn from this idea and recognize that you are a sinner, right? And that's what Peter's saying, that they have crucified the Messiah, that they're turning from that. And then we see that throughout the letters of the New Testament, that you're, you're, t- you're trying to take Paul and you're trying to read Paul into what, what Peter's saying here in Pentecost and saying he used the same word. So whatever Paul means all the time, I want to read into Peter, and that's not, that's, that's not the way language works. You're saying it's always the context, right? And so Peter is not talking to, to believers who are, are saying you're working through the sanctification. How can you be sanctified if you're not regenerate? How can you be sanctified if you're not converted? There is no sanctification. There's no sanctification until there's a conversion. There's no sanctification until there's regeneration, right? Otherwise, you're saying you're trying to, 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 you're trying to bring life into a dead thing. Right? It's like we're going to go to the cemetery and we're going to put makeup. I know, Craig, kind of that's your job, but you don't, you're not really, um, you know, you're not really doing that until there's an actual regeneration, an actual conversion. And so, and so you, you have to, you have to look at the context of what he's describing there. Yeah, I think I need to talk to you in private on some of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I didn't realize to the extent when I uh, surrendered to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and stopped drinking, mm-hmm. not on my own, but through the power of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really aware of all that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even say the Lord's Prayer when I first got sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and I was a you know a, a Catholic before that, and that was a center mm-hmm. part of my so-called belief. Mm-hmm. But I never had the relationship with Christ at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Spirit brought me through all this, and ten years later, I could connect. Now it was Jesus that died on the cross mm-hmm. for my sins. I couldn't comprehend that. Mm-hmm. I was so wiped out. Yeah, uh, and uh, and I think the problem is you have to be, you have to be careful of of trying to translate our experiences and saying I'm going to interpret what 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 Peter is saying here through the lens of my experiences. 
we have to be careful there too, and I think that's just something we have to be careful as well. And again, I've seen a whole lot of people say, oh, I believe, I believe, and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And then we go to uh, Hebrews 6, mm-hmm. and they taste of the uh, flavors of the uh, mm-hmm. uh, grace of God, but then they turn away from it. Because it's yeah. an emotional situation versus an actual you know, yeah, I, I would say a better a better parallel because Hebrews is, is, is there's some different ways to interpret that. I think a better is the, the parallel of the, the uh, parable of the, so, the soils, right? It's probably a better parallel there, but yeah, uh, Dave. Yeah, I I would just wanted to point out that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Here we are, two thousand years later. Things were happening then that that were different than today. We are not to take. What happened then to today? You know, the Holy Spirit was working mightily in that in those days. Number one and number two, Luke, being a doctor, what he wrote down in here, he made sure he had the right numbers. I'm going to tell you right now, yeah. Luke didn't write nothing unless he knew what, had the right numbers. And then number three, Martha brought it up. Archaeology has found uh, many uh, things in the temple where people, could, many thousands of people, could have gotten baptized on the same day, mm-hmm. and so. So all those things are true. Here we are arguing about that. And as far as an experience of accepting Christ, I know that Christ was working on my heart. And everybody, like Craig said, everybody's experience is different. Mm -hmm. Everybody. But when uh, Christ was working on my heart and when uh, when, uh, I went to a men's retreat and and someone, you know, I don't don't even remember what what was being preached. But I knew that God was pulling on my heart, and when he asked for somebody to come up and accept Christ, I, I moved up, I accepted Christ. And from that moment on, now I'm, it's not, I'm not saying I'm miraculous, because I agree with with, uh, with both of you, that I know at that time when I accepted Christ, I was changed. A lot of things changed, but you know what? There's a maturity that we got to have, and, and we need to have faith. We need God needs to keep giving us faith, because we keep messing up. And so there's a growth process, and in your 10 years was your growth. You're from USC. It takes a while. <laughs> but you know what, Dave? We're going to move on. I want to I go back to your point, in that which, which, uh, which Susan brought out in the MacArthur Study Bible, is the aspect of if, how does Luke have numbers to record? Right? How, do, how does Luke, when he goes back and do, does the research, how does he have numbers to record? It's only if the church took the numbers seriously. And it's only if the church took the aspect of, we're not just saying, hey, our ministry is just to give many people to pray the prayers we can. That's not, the, that's not what they saw. That Peter and the church understood every person who confesses faith in Christ, we're responsible for them. That, that we don't want to just leave them out as lone rangers. And God bless you. You have Jesus. Hope things can work out with you. Right, that there is a responsibility of connecting them into the church. There's a formal numbering to know who was part of the body and who was that the church was responsible to minister to. Who were the apostles supposed to disciple and hold accountable? Who were they supposed to make sure was at the assembly to partake in the fellowship and the Lord's Supper? Who were the deacons supposed to know who to help responsible in the church? They weren't the deacons truly loved were to love everyone in Jerusalem, but they were to care for those who are part of the church. That's why you see that they kept a list of widows in, in 1 Timothy 5. And, and we see that list of widows is part of that church uh, that, that Timothy is, is overseeing. And so it comes down to this aspect of who is, is who, are we, who are we primarily responsible for as the church? We have two, two poles. One is we have a command to love our neighbors. We want to love every person that God puts in our path. We want to love every person that comes through the doors this morning. 
whether they are part of this church or not, whether they are a believer or not, whether they are living in sin or whether they are, are being sanctified, whatever it is, we want to love them. That is, that is, that's, that's true. But there's another aspect where there are people that we are committed to in a, a, a special way. In the same way, I would say this, you are commanded to love everyone in your life. But if you are a parent, if you are a husband, or if you're a wife, you are called to a special relationship because of the covenant of marriage that you have there. You're called to a special relationship with your children that God has given you. And that does not mean you neglect everyone else, right? Tina can't say, I love Tom, so no one else really can. I don't care about anyone else. But in the same way, she can't say, well, I don't have time for Tom. Tom can just be one of those many people in my life. But you can have them both, right? And that's the same with the church. That the church was called to love their neighbors. We see that. But also that there was a particular relationship they had with those formally committed to the church. That those are the ones that they're going to do to, 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 to care for one another and love one another and, and be responsible to look after one another and, and also for the leadership to particularly care for those, uh, that, those that were formally associated. Um, and let's, let's look at another example here. we got about five minutes. So Acts chapter 5. Let's look at, um, let me breeze through these real quick and then we'll, we'll say the metaphors one. Acts chapter five, we have Ananias and Sapphira. You're saying, what does that have to do with church membership? Oh my goodness. All right. Um, Ananias and Sapphira. And so let me sum just because of the time we have. Ananias and Sapphira, they're disciplined because of their sin. So they sinned um, and there's, there's this discipline. Uh, look at verses three. and f- So they, they sold a field. They wanted to be like Barnabas. And, and, and present their money to God, but they wanted to pretend like they, they're giving all their money like Barnabas did, but they really secretly held some back. It's not wrong to hold something back. It's, 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 what's wrong is that they were pretending there's something they're not. They're pretending like they're giving it all and lying uh, to the Holy Spirit, we're going to see, and, 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 and when they could have held things back. So look, uh, so Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Peter even says, Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? What's the problem? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You didn't have to give it all. You could have done whatever you wanted to. That's not the problem that you didn't give it all. The problem is, why have you contrived this deed to your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. The problem is, is that they're, they're being a hypocrite. They're, they're pretending there's something they're not. If they said, hey, we're, we want to give 20% of what our sale to, to God. Peter would have said, praise God. Right? The problem is that they're, they're presenting something they're not. But then look, look at their response. So they, they, both, they both engage in this lie. Um, God takes their lives, both of them. Uh, and, and then look at verse 13 and 14. It says, none of the, so starting to verse 12. So this is after this happened. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people and by the hands of the apostles and, and, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. So look what's going on here. What's Luke describing? He's describing the rest. The rest. The response first of the rest. Who's the rest? The ones that weren't part of the church. Right? They're the ones who will not, would not join them. There's, a res- there's two responses. They, there's people who see what God did. And there's some people who were watching what God did and said, but they did not dare to join them. They did not join, dare to be added to their number. They did not dare to, to commit their lives to Christ and join to be part of that, the church. But there were others, verse 14, who what? Were added, 
right? Which, which we see that connection throughout Acts of those believing in Christ and those who were added, who were formally joined to the church. So we see that, that, that throughout Acts, we see that this, this number of the church means that there's a distinct line between those who are inside the church, we would say formally joined as members, and those outside the church. That, that is how the church operated in the early church. Um, one last, real quick, just, I got two minutes. Two minutes, here we go, Luke 18. Not Luke 18, Acts 18. Ah, I did not... You guys had a tough night, so we did not sleep well. But my brain is trying to wake up. All right. Acts 18, we have Apollos. Apollos is moving from Ephesus to Achaia. Um, And we see in verse 27, and then he, Apollos, wished to cross to Achaia. Uh, The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those through um, through grace had believed. And so Apollos moves, he's, and we see that there's, he's not going to be a lone ranger. It's not, man, I hope you find a church when you move over there, right? Hope you find a church to stop by to. No, they, they wrote him a letter to say, when you leave this church, we're expecting you're going to go to another church. There was no idea of a lone ranger Christians. There were no pinball Christians. It's, this letter was a way to say, we care about this soul. And, we, and when you're leaving the care of this church, we want, this is a letter to the other church, you're responsible for this precious soul. We love them. We shepherd them. We care for them. We don't want them to be abandoned and be, be on their own and be attacked by wolves spiritually. And so, so will you care for this person? Well, here, here's where they're gifted. Will you plug them into ministry so they'd be a blessing and glorify God in your church? We see that, 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 that there is, there, the, the, the Bible shows Christians is formally associated in local bodies of believers, even from moving to place to place. That, that, that's one of the, the first things that they did. Uh, we see this also in Romans 16, Colossians 4, 2 Corinthians 3. Now, this is... It's not saying that there's a biblical command to send a letter because we see there's times that it doesn't happen. It's not that we're commanded to send a letter. Well, what's the biblical principle here? The biblical principle here is Christians are always committed to a church even when you move from place to place. Is it that, and I would say the implication, the application of this is, is that, that God expects you to, if you're going to need to move somewhere, God expects you to have a church first. That, that's, that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Right? So let me ask you. So when we ask the question, if you, we, we deal with things pastorally, and I deal with things, you, you know, it just, just in talking to people, and you're saying, is it God's will that I live here? Or is it God's will that I live in New York? Or is it God's will that I live in Canada? It's like, I, where, where is God's will that I live? There's a lot of wisdom questions, but I would say this. It is not God's will for you to move if you don't have a church. Why can I say that? First Thessalonians 4.3. It says, this is the will of God for you. Here's God's will. Your sanctification. It, it's right. Th- I, I told the story before when I, I said, hey, I, I was youth pastor here. I said, if I could tell you a verse in the Bible that said, this is God's will for your life, do you want to know? And they say, yes. And I read that verse. And there's one girl in the front row that goes, what does sanctification mean? Well, that's a good question. Here, here's God's will for you. If by where you're going to move, it's going to help you grow in your love for God and your love for his people and your growth and holiness, then that might be his will for you. If you don't have that, God says it's not his will for you. And so, and part of God's plan of sanctification is the people of God, is the church. So if someone says, we're moving and we have, there is no church there. I would say, I don't think that's God's will for you. Because 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 
unless you can explain that verse in a different way. Now, there, there's missionary context, there's some other context, but it's not, 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 you know, it's not, not rock solid, but part of God's plan is that saying, by moving this place, by moving this job, by moving this situation, is this going to help you to continue to grow in your sanctification, your love for God, and your love for others, and, and, and your growth in holiness? And, and, and it's interesting that Apollos was committing, this is so anti-21st century, he was committing to a church before he felt connected to a church. That's so opposite today, right? Today is, I want to feel connected to a church, then I'll commit to the church. That's not, that's, that's not the New Testament. New Testament first is saying, obviously, you want to make sure there's a church that they believe the gospel, that they're sound in doctrine. You, you, there's certain things you check out, but they committed, and because of their committing, they felt connected. It's the same thing with marriage today, right? People, you know, people today, there's like, well, you, you feel, you feel connected, so then you'll commit but then if you don't feel connected anymore, you decommit. Divorce, right? But we say, no, your feeling of connectedness is going to come from your commitment. As you live out that commitment, and as you commit to love one another, then you're going to feel the connectedness you want to feel. That's what we say about marriage, right? Church is no different, as it's described. There's a connect, the, 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 the feeling of connection comes from the commitment so was, they, they committed before they connected. There was no church shopping in the, in the, in the first century. So, um, so I, I'm going to leave it there. Ah, three minutes. Okay. I'll stick around for a couple minutes if you have more questions, but I want to let you guys go and, and, and prepare for the worship service. But so let me pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for these, th- your word as it continues to sharpen and challenge us and, 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 and makes us ask questions. Thank you for the questions this morning is that we would seek to be those who would rightly handle your, your, your truth and, and because we value it because it's your words. It's your truth. And we love you and we desire that, that we would live out your words because of our love for you. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to continue to worship as we study your word and as we sing your word and as we pray your word, as we engage in the worship service this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.